man, I, I'd do anything for an ejector seat button to get me the heck out of here as fast as possible. That's for sure. Mic Drop enthusiasts, Josh Linkner here, delighted to be bringing you Season 2 of Mic Drop. I love our conversations with speakers and industry leaders alike, so we can unpack the industry and we can all perform better. Let's get after it and get better together. Mic Drop is brought to you by Impact 11, the most diverse and inclusive community built for training and developing professional speakers to get on bigger stages at higher fees with greater impact faster. They're not just elevating an industry that we all know and love. They work with thousands of speakers to launch and scale their speaking businesses, accelerating time to success, earning tens of millions in speaking fees, landing bureau representation, securing book deals, and rising to the top of the field. To learn more about the Impact 11 community, schedule a free strategy session today by visiting impact11.com forward slash connect. That's impactelevencom forward slash connect. Today's guest is Colin O'Brady, who is simply put, a total badass. 10-time world record holding explorer, New York Times bestselling author, professional athlete, multi-time entrepreneur, a collegiate athlete back in the early 2000s, Colin experienced a tragic setback that meant he was unlikely to ever be able to walk normally again. Well, not only did he walk again, but 18 months later, he competed in a triathlon. And not only did he compete, but he placed first in the overall legendary Chicago triathlon. From that day forward, Colin was a professional triathlete, racing in 25 countries across six continents. But he didn't stop there, because Colin never does. He went on to break not one, but two mountaineering world records, where he competed in a series of challenges known as the Explorer's Grand Slam in just 139 days, reaching the top of the tallest peaks on all seven continents along the way. The guy even sent the first ever Snapchat from the summit of Mount Everest. First to row alone across the treacherous Drake Passage from South America to Antarctica? Check. Summited Mount Everest twice? Check. First solo expedition across Antarctica? Check. I think you're getting the idea. Today, Colin's impact goes beyond breaking records. He's the founder of a nonprofit and has spoken to the likes of NBC Universal, PG, and the Aspen Institute, helping millions of people around the world transcend previous limits and go beyond. In today's conversation with Colin, we talk about overcoming adversity pushing yourself to new heights right after you reached a peak, and what to do when you're alone in a tent in Antarctica and hear five different voices in your head telling you to quit. Get ready for a conversation that explores it all with this world-class explorer. Colin O'Reilly, welcome to Mic Drop. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. And so excited for our conversation, not only because uh, I admire you so much and, and a good friend, but I think you have so much to offer. So you, you started doing basically crazy stuff. I mean, really intense challenges. And, and, and these are hard. I mean, you don't, you don't do challenges like I would do. Like, I'm going to try to go for a two-mile run. You're like, yeah, I'm just going to like go across Antarctica by myself with no help. My question to you is, why do you do these hard things? What, what is it that's calling you to take on such really difficult challenges? 
You know, I think it's a, a curiosity of the sort of exploration of mind, body and spirit. You know, I'm, I'm a big believer that all of us, you know, that we're sitting on reservoirs of untapped potential to achieve extraordinary things. And, you know, I get that not everyone wants to go freeze their butt off in the middle of Antarctica by themselves. But I do firmly believe that each and every person on this planet, you know, has a canvas that they want to paint on and a masterpiece they can paint on that canvas. And so for me, I've just been drawn to these sort of endurance challenges. It's been a way for me to... Um, um, you know, go out there and push my body, but it's really ended up um, kind of in the spiritual realm, not in a religious context, but just sort of, uh, you know, connecting with my own soul, my own purpose. Um, and so it sounds kind of crazy, but when you're stripped away of everything, um, you know, what, what is what is left? Um, and it's been a, a beautiful journey for me personally. And then also the element of that uh, through storytelling, you know, I love to be able to share these stories broadly. You know, I asked myself, would I do them if I couldn't share them with anyone? And the answer is yes, to know that I really want to do them. But an added benefit is to be able to share those stories, you know, with the world through, you know, speaking, of course, through social media, through books, etc. Um, and at this point, millions and millions of people have come on along these journeys with me. And it's been amazing over the years to see the impact that that's had on others, people writing me, you know, hey, you know, I, I followed this journey, and it made a huge difference in my life, or I changed this about that, or I started this business, or I really, you know, went after my goals. And so to me, that ripple effect of positivity, I think is just a, a really fun uh, byproduct of being able to do this. So a hard thing to you might be a big physical challenge coming up. And I know you've got several still in, in the works. We'll talk about that in a minute. And, and that, that may be a hard thing for someone else. It might not be a physical thing. It might be something else altogether. For example, someone who says they make a declaration, I want to become a professional keynote speaker. So making a declaration that you want to do something, like I could say, I want to run an Ironman. And then then like the third day of training, when it's freezing cold and pouring rain, and you'd rather be in your warm bed, saying it and doing it are two different things. So my question to you is, as you've embarked on these challenges, one thing to say it, at a cocktail party. It's another thing to like get up and actually train and then ultimately prevail. How do you how do you fight through the resistance when you'd really rather not do the hard work? I mean, there's got to be moments you're in the thick of it saying, oh, I did this to myself again. I'm so tired. I just want to take a nap. Like, how do you fight through that resistance? Yeah, you know, I, I love to say a, a goal without a plan is, is just a wish, right? It's just, uh, you know, something you're just saying, oh, one day I might do this thing. Um, and, and I think we've all perhaps been there. Um, or, or joking, you know, as a joke, I mean, there's you're, you're out with your buddy having a cocktail on a Saturday night. You're like, you know, ne next year we're going to train for the New York City Marathon. It's going to be great. And you wake up hungover on Sunday morning. You're like, call your buddy again. You're like, yo, man, like I had too many drinks last night. Like we're not training for the marathon, <laughs> you know? And interestingly enough, I think our brains – are patterned to have us dream small, you know, to say, oh, that's too hard, kind of shut us down long before we've reached our potential. Um, and I'm certainly not impervious to that. Yes, I've set 10 world records and I've had my fair share of accomplishments, but I've also had my fair share of failures and things that didn't work out. But regardless of the end result, success or failure, I'm battling myself the whole time. You know, that that not that voice, Colin, you're not strong enough. Uh, this isn't going to work out. Uh, stop now. You know, you're going to embarrass yourself. You know, all of these these doubts and fears, you know, go through our minds. But I am a big believer that, you know, we are the stories that we tell ourselves. Right. Um, and oftentimes all of us, myself included, are guilty of telling ourselves this negative story. All the reasons why we can't or shouldn't do something or we should give up or, you know, when it gets too hard. But in those moments uh, of difficulty, in those moments of challenge where I'm struggling in my own mind, 
I love to remind myself of that. You're the story you tell yourself. Do you want to tell yourself you're not strong enough? You can't do this. Or do you want to tell yourself, you know what? Yes, I'm going to achieve this. I can get through this. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. Um, or in your example of keynote speaking, it's like, you know, I've been blessed to be able to do this for quite some time and I love it. Um, but, you know, there's ups and downs and, and bumps along the way of, of this journey um, of being able to have that impact from a stage. And so when it gets hard, you say, yeah, okay, that's part of the challenge. What can I learn from this? What can I take away from this? What can I apply to the, the next meeting I get, the next conversation I have, the next speech that I'm giving. And so I think it applies broadly and it really is just this internal um, struggle that that we have as humans. Um, but it can also be our biggest gift, you know, when we can rewrite our mental, um, you know, sort of when we rewrite our mental dialogue, it can be so empowering, right? And those are the moments where I've, I've had the most strength. I'm out in Antarctica completely by myself, alone, having these negative self-doubts. I actually, you know, joke around. I woke up in my tent sometimes. Yes, I was alone crossing Antarctica, but I, sometimes I feel like I woke up and there's five different people in that tent with me, like five versions of myself looking back at me being like, you're stupid. Why are you out here? You're, you're going to die. This is too cold. You know, all the negativity. And I would quite literally stand outside of my tent every single day in Antarctica with my arms outstretched and I would yell it out loud to myself. No one's around, right? I'm yelling, Colin, you are strong. You are capable. You are strong. You are capable. Quite literally rewriting the words, rewriting the story in my own mind to continue to push forward. You've done a lot of hard things. You've done, you mentioned 10 world records. You've climbed all these mountains, taken on physical challenges that are inconceivable for most of us mere mortals. You've also been an entrepreneur. You've written New York Times bestselling author. You have a wonderful family and a, and a deeply committed relationship and, and, and a young kiddo to boot. What, what's, you've done a lot of hard things. What is the hardest thing you've done? And what do you think you learned from it? Mm. Gosh, that's a good question. You know, it's easy, uh, you know, it's easy to point back to, um, you know, the, these challenges, I guess, that are these headline catching challenges, you know, it's rocking across Antarctica solo or, you know, I rode a boat across Drake Passage, the most treacherous stretch of ocean in the world. And I, I will say when 40 foot swells are smacking you in the face, you're in the middle of a rowboat, you, you think to yourself, man, I, I'd do anything for an ejector seat button to get me the heck out of here as fast as possible. Um, that's for sure. Um, but you know, what, what comes to mind for me actually is a moment that uh, I guess was my own fault. But back in um, 2008, I was traveling around the world solo um, and I foolishly decided to jump a flaming jump rope. And I ended up lighting my entire body on fire. Kerosene from the rope um, splashed my body and lit my fire completely, um, my body on fire completely uh, to my neck. And I jumped into the ocean that day, saved my life, um, which was amazing, fortunate. Um, but then I looked down and there was basically no skin on the lower half of my body. I was in the middle of nowhere in Thailand, in the Gulf of Thailand. It's like a moped ride down a dirt path to a one-room nursing station. And the doctors in this makeshift hospital where I underwent eight surgeries said to me, hey, look, you'll probably never walk again normally. Um, and I'll never forget that moment because the pain, the, the physical pain was so immense. You know, I wasn't walking. I had no skin on the lower half of my body. But there was something about them saying, hey, hey, young kid. You know, I was 22 at the time when I did this. You made a silly mistake. And in one second, your whole life is different. And I've been an athlete my whole life, you know, able-bodied, strong, really, that was a core part of my identity. Um, and all of a sudden, boom, that's gone. That's gone. The doctor's telling you that. And I really, you know, I, I, I definitely credit the, the recovery from that to not just my own mental ability. In fact, I think I've left up to my own device in that moment. I wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation with you, but really my mother came and, you know, mentored me through that process. And again, rewriting that mindset saying, Hey, your life's not over, Colin. What do you want to do when you get out of here? Let's set a goal. And I, and I won't tell that whole story in this moment. 
Um, but the long story short is through through goal setting, through the ability to focus on something in the future. I set my sights on, you know, uh, racing a triathlon one day, and that gave me the courage to literally take my first steps, get out of a wheelchair, fly back to the United States, hobble around for, you know, the better part of a year, go to the gym, train, etc. But there was a lot of lessons in overcoming that. But the hardest thing was just being told, hey, look, your life's never going to be the same. But what's interesting to me about that moment, and when I look back on it, and I've learned so much, you know, over these years, you know, that was almost you know, 15, 16 years ago, something like that, is I also learned some of life's greatest lessons through that adversity, right? And then people have asked me, you know, your question was, you know, what's the hardest thing you've ever faced? Another version of that question or a sub question is, you know, looking back, if you had a time machine, would you whisper in the ear of your 22 year old self, you know, hey, don't jump that Fleming jump rope. It's weird to say like the pain was so immense, both emotionally and physically, I wouldn't wish that pain on my worst enemy. But at the same time, I don't know that I'd go whisper in my 22 year old's ear, hey, don't do that because there was so much rich lessons and growth from the challenge and the difficulty of that. And so that's an interesting, I guess, uh, counterpoint that sometimes the most difficult things we go through when we look back on them with hindsight, realize that they were huge opportunities for deep, deep growth and impact over time. Beautifully said. And, and building on that, you know, many people who are listening are on their own uh, keynote speaking journey. And, you know, in the same way that you said, metaphorically, in your case, physically, you had to take that first step, then you had to hobble around for a year, and then eventually you, you trained to become this you know, world-class, world-record-setting athlete. What, what are the parallels to a professional speaking career? What advice might you give from the experience that you, you've had as, as an explorer taking on hard things to those of us that are trying to do different type of hard things, which is launch and scale a speaking practice? Yeah, I'll give I'll give two examples, I think, from the, the world of exhibition. One's a sort of a dovetail from that that previous story, which is, you know, in that hospital room, my mom said, what do you, you can do anything when you get out of here? And I said, if I could do anything, I'll, I'll, I'd like to race a triathlon, not something I'd ever done before. Right. It's like the keynote speaker saying, I've seen someone on stage doing this, delivering this amazing thing. I want to get up there on that stage one day. But that stage seems so far away. You might be sitting in an audience at a conference with 3000 people. And there's, you know, one guy keynoting from the stage. You know, How do you get up there? Same thing. I'm sitting in a hospital room by myself saying, I want to race a triathlon one day. It kind of seems ridiculous because it's such a big goal. It's so far in the distance. But then the biggest lesson in all of that, and again, for the, in this example, for me, fostered by my mother, is I got home, I'm in a wheelchair, I've been carried on and off this plane from Thailand. I haven't walked in three months. And then she goes, she walks into our kitchen this morning, I'm in my wheelchair, and she looks at me and she goes, okay, Colin, I know you've got this big triathlon goal. It'd be like someone saying, hey, I know you've got this big keynote speaking goal. But what are you going to do today? And then she grabs this wooden chair from our kitchen table and places it one step in front of my wheelchair. She goes, I don't care about this. You know, the triathlon sure in the distance. Today, the only thing you need to do is get out of your wheelchair and take one step into that chair in front of you. And it, literally that step took me three hours. I'm looking down at my legs. They're atrophied. They're like the size of my wrists. But I finally work up the courage and strength to take that first step. And the parallel for sure is... I love having that big goal, that North Star, a question I love to ask, you know, ask. I've, I've summited Mount Everest twice um, and it was a childhood dream of mine as I ask people, you know, what's your Everest? In this example, you know, that keynote speaking. Great. Great to have the big goal. But getting to that big goal is actually what's the first step? What's the next step after that? Um, you know, I've, I've developed this method called the go beyond method that I share from the stage. And one of the, the main key components of it is small steps, big gains. 
small steps, big gains. And another sort of quick story is I'm on the summit of Everest the very first time I summited in 2016 and it's a lifelong dream of mine. And, you know, in my thirties at this point and, you know, figuring out how to raise the money and train and overcome this burn axe and all the things to get there. And I get to the summit of Everest and I, you know, yell, I go, I'm on the summit of Mount Everest, top of the world. I've got this video of me up there. Um, you know, it's minus 40 degrees. And I look down at the ground. And on the ground, of course, it's mostly ice, but there's some rocks up there. And I look down and I see this tiny little rock, this little stone on the ground. And I pick it up and something just instinctively in my mind, I put it in my pocket. And I've carried that rock with me, you know, for the better part of the last decade since I summited it. And the reason I carry that rock around with me is in that moment on the summit of Everest, I realized that even Mount Everest, even the biggest mountain in the world, is just a bunch of small rocks stacked on top of each other many steps leading to the summit. And so the advice of the keynote speaker is it's great to have that summit goal. I want to get on the top. I want to get on that stage. I want to share this impact. I want the standing ovation. I want to speak to the Fortune 100 companies, whatever that goal is for yourself in the keynote space. But then ask yourself the question is, what, what's one rock that I can stack today? What's one step closer to that wooden chair I can take today? And when you get to that wooden chair the next day, You push the chair a few steps further, a few steps further, a few steps further. And like I said, from the go beyond method, small steps lead to big gains. When you are as intense as of a person as I know you to be, who is striving to get to that Everest or the next Everest or the next thing after that, do you ever, I mean, these are such intense pursuits filled with sacrifice and hard work. Is there ever a bit of a letdown? I mean, you get on top of Everest, you scream, I'm on top of the world, you look down to pick up a rock, and then like, you know, the next day is probably less exciting, you know, and, and, and now you got to start training for the next thing. How do you sort of manage the emotional ups and downs of, of achieving something so greatly, which again is, is, you know, deep congratulations, but then like, how do you, what could possibly live up to that? And I know the reason I ask is I know many keynote speakers who do just that, man, if I only spoke to a thousand people, I'd be on top of the world. That was their Everest. And then they do. And they expect when that happens, like the heavens open and their lives change. And then there's, they still got to look at themselves in the mirror. They're still have the their same relationships or, you know, like, so again, I'm not, not trying to diminish incredible outcomes and, and, and achievements. Awesome. But how do you manage the emotional ups and downs when you've been working toward a goal, you achieve the goal. And then is there ever like a false letdown? And how do you sort of get yourself energized to then take on the next Everest? afterward? No, it's, it's such an important question. Thanks for asking it. In the world of Olympic sports, they, you know, they call this post-Olympic depression. It's like a real kind of like, you know, semi-diagnosed thing, which is you focus so much on something and then the thing, the page turns and you're at the next phase of your life. And you're like, who am I? What do I do? What, you know, what is this? You know, I, I love to say that the top of one mountain is really just the bottom of the next. Um, and, and that's not to be forever chasing, like as the cup can never be full up, you know, it's to take a moment You're like, Hey, we got there. If, you, if you're running a small business, Hey, we hit this sales goal. Or if you're running a fortune 100 company, Hey, we hit this, you know, $10 billion revenue target. Great. Can we get to 12 next year? Can we get to 15? You can apply it in any big or small context, but really it's a, a feeling of, of the difference in, uh, I like to say there, there is no there, you know, there is no finish line. Right. The, the, like I said, the, the top of one mountain is just the bottom of the next. And I don't do that because it's, it's a lack of fulfillment, but it really is about being invested in the process. And when I've looked back and said, you know, if you're thinking about becoming a keynote speaker or the beginning of your, your process, it's going to be an incredible moment to celebrate when you get on that first stage in front of a thousand people. You know, I, I remember that moment for myself, you know, just, just last week I was in front of 5,000 people. I remember being in front of 10,000 people, right? These benchmarks that you hit or, you know, some, some really exciting moment that you've gotten to share from the stage and they're all great and worthy of celebration. But if you don't enjoy the process of getting there, 
it's not going to really mean a lot to you. To your point, Josh, that, you know, the heavens aren't just going to open up. And I know this is one of the things I admire about you, Josh. I think we share this similarly, which is, you know, we're very goal oriented. We're very driven people. But we also love the process, right? Like you and I, you know, we're on phone calls with each other and we're bantering around like, you know, can you get that one different hand gesture? Can you, you know, think about that's an amazing story. That's, a, you know, 99 of it, 100. But how do you get it to 100? How do you, you know, that one, you know, one pause or one slight different iterative, you know, piece of this story or this element. And that's because we love the process. It's fun to be on the stage and, and get into it. But if you don't love the process, just getting to the moment, just getting to the proverbial mountaintop is going to be a massive letdown. But when you love the process, you get to that summit, you celebrate that moment, you're darn proud of yourself. And you go like, but I love I loved the process of training for this mountain, about thinking about this mountain, about walking up this mountain to get into camp one, camp two, camp three, camp four, the summit, dreaming about the next one. And I think that applies perfectly to business, to keynote speaking, et cetera, which is the best speakers that I know and the people that I admire in this space the most are the ones that just love the craft. Would You know, of course, this is a business. We're all trying to make money. We have our price, our fees, et cetera. But also going like, you know what? I would get up on that stage for the love of the game because I just freaking love being up there and sharing this message, inspiring people. Becoming a keynote speaker is an amazing profession. The top performers earn millions while driving massive impact for audiences around the world. But the quest to speaking glory can be a slow route with many obstacles that can knock even the best speakers out of the game. If you're serious about growing your speaking business, the seasoned pros at Impact 11 can help. From crafting your ideal positioning to optimizing your marketing effectiveness to perfecting your expertise and stage skills. As the only speaker training and development community run by current high-level speakers at the top of the field, they'll boost your probability of success and help you get there faster. That's why nearly every major speaker bureau endorses and actively participates in Impact 11. The Impact 11 community provides you unparalleled access to the people, relationships, coaching, and accountability that compresses your time to success. To learn more about the Impact 11 community, Schedule a free strategy session today by visiting impact11.com forward slash connect. That's impactelevencom forward slash connect. Again, obviously we share that and I have so much admiration for the work that you do both on and off the stage. Um, and I love the process too. And, and at the same time, there are days that I love it less. You know, we're, we're human beings, you know, so some days I'm just fired up and can't get enough of it. And other days, you know, it, it, it's work. And my question to you is, you know, many keynote speakers are very good at motivating other people and maybe not as good at motivating themselves. So are there any tactics or tricks that you do on those days where even though you might love the process, it doesn't feel quite as fun? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, it, you know, having written a couple of books, um, you know, both are inspirational, um, you know, but one is really pretty, um, pretty, pretty, you know, it's a self-help oriented uh, expository writing, um, The 12 Hour Walk. And there's sort of 10 principles in that book. I won't go through all of them now, but it is a good reminder. It's like, I wrote this down for other people. You better take your own advice here, right? Like, um, but, I, but I love the question, right? Is, is, is we're all human, right? We all have good days. We all have bad days. That, that really is um, a part of the process. You know, for me, what I've, what I've come to realize and one of the frameworks that I've built, again, it's actually one of the foundational pieces of my go beyond method that I share from the stage, which is, you know, I kind of think about life on this spectrum of one to tens, 
which is, you know, one being our lowest low moments, you know, that, that, that's heartbreak. That's death of a, of a loved one. That's, you know, getting burned in a fire in Thailand and being told you'd never walk again. And then tens, you know, these are our high highs, right? That's, that's the moment as a keynote speaker, you get on that first stage in front of a thousand people that that's summiting your Mount Everest. Right. And what I realized is that oftentimes, you know, as, as humans, it's only natural. We crave tens. We want as many tens as we can possibly have. Like who wouldn't want more tens, right? But every time I've experienced a 10, what I realize, whether that's the moment of, you know, getting to that level of my career and speaking, where I'm in front of thousands of people, whether that's standing on the summit of Mount Everest, that's whether that's crossing Antarctica solo and finally becoming the world's first person to ever, you know, do this thing that no one thought was possible. I didn't get there in spite of my ones. I actually got there because of my ones and the twos and the threes. Meaning the process to getting to that 10 actually requires having the freezing cold on your face or to bring it back directly to your question uh, of having those down days, those moments where it kind of sucks, where you're just kind of slogging through it. It's work. It's hard. But what I tell myself in those moments, realizing that those ones and those tens are connected or the twos and the nines are connected, is that when I start to feel that one, I actually now embrace it. And I tell people that in the go beyond method, I'm like, you got to embrace the ones. It's a reframe. You don't want the one. It sucks in the moment. You're like, man, I really don't want this to be happening. But what I tell myself in those moments, I actually start to smile and I embrace those ones because I go, oh, if I'm feeling this one, I must have opened up the doorway to the 10. And people ask me in my expeditions, Colin, are you afraid of dying? Are you afraid of dying? And of course, I'm afraid of dying. I'm not just like this restless risk taker. But what I'm most afraid of is not fully living. And too often people live in what I call the zone of comfortable complacency between four and six, afraid to take that risk, afraid to feel any of that discomfort because they're hedging against the downside risk of a one or a two or a three, just living in the zone of five, 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 over and over and over and over again. And when you look back on a year of fives or five years of fives or 10 years of fives, you kind of can't even differentiate your days. And so those ones, to your question, the difficulty, the challenge, that actually gives you the fabric, uh, the, the, the juice of life that allows your pendulum to swing all the way back up to those sevens, eights, nines, and tens. Such good advice. And you use, use the word reframe, and it's a beautiful reframe. Um, I'd love to get back to the courage element, though, for a second. So, you know, mentioned, you know, are you afraid of dying? Yeah, I'm afraid of dying. Like, that, that's a natural thing. Of course you are. And it's, so it's one thing if you're doing something that's just hard work. Like, I could train, train to run a marathon, and I'm sure that would be very painful and hard work, and I'd have good days and bad days, but I'm probably not going to, you know, physically die. I might get, uh, you know, shin splints or something. But some of the things you've taken on are, you know, physically, objectively risky. You know, Drake's Passage, when there's 40 foot waves crossing over your your canoe or, or you're, you're alone in an Arctic, you know, you, you've taken on, you know, actual physical danger. So whether people's danger is physical or perceived, you know, it could be you're risking, you know, your, your economics or your, your family's well-being or whatever. What advice and thoughts do you have on courage when it's not just, oh, I'm scared of working hard, but there actually is a real consequence to a, to a, a misstep? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think that, you know, it's important to evaluate risk. It's funny sometimes, you know, I touched on it just before, but, you know, sometimes on the outside looking in, people look at me and say, oh God, that guy's just taking tons of risks, you know? Um, and I look at it the opposite. I actually think I'm just constantly assessing risks, right? And then feeling like I feel comfortable to take the next step. I feel comfortable to take the next step. But of course, right on the edge of, of, of comfort, you know, this this sort of really, you know, interesting interplay. And and my risk tolerance might be higher than somebody else's and that's not a values judgment. It just, you you know, it is what it is, but I think we all are courageous in our own, in our own way. One thing that I think that people kind of 
get gets in their way um, is a little bit of this sort of like analysis paralysis. Like, um, you know, let, let's just say, for example, you know, you were offered a you were offered a job on the other side. Like you live in New York and you're offered a job in California. And it's a great job. It's going to be a 50% higher salary. It's a great opportunity for you. But you got an 11 year old and a 13 year old kid. And they're like happy where they are in school. They're, they're in, in the sports teams or they're really, you know, in, in their, their social network and all this kind of stuff. And so this, this would be a sacrifice for them. You'd have to uproot their life. They'd be new kids on the other side of the country. And you don't know how that's going to play out. And so you start making these like pros and cons lists. You start going, should I do this? Shouldn't I do this? Well, this is a good side. This is a bad side. This is the thing, whatever. And I, I, I've talked to so many people like this and they start going, I don't know the answer. I don't know. I don't know what to do. I've weighed every pros and cons. I've asked every friend of mine. I've, I've analyzed, analyzed this from every single angle. And that courage, your question is about courage, but I'll, I'll, I'll take that one step deeper, which I would say is intuition. As I say to people like, you do know the answer. Like, I don't know the answer for you. That might be the best career decision. It might be fine for your family. It might not. But usually in these really, really big decisions, I find if you can quiet your mind enough and kind of get away from that analysis paralysis, we do know the answer. We really do. And I've used that intuition more often than not. But, you know, in one really specific example, I won't tell the whole story, but on K2, I was trying to climb K2 in winter, which is the second tallest mountain in the world. And I'm known as the guy who pushes and is grit and gets to the top and all this kind of stuff. And I'm one day from the summit, be the first person ever to summit um, this mountain in winter. And I just get this intuitive pull, which just says it's time to turn back. And so there's a few other people, not that I was, you know, directly climbing with, but our people I knew that were on the mountain that were climbing. And I said to them, Hey, I'm not going to go for the summit. I'm turning around. Why? And I said, there's just something in my intuition telling me to turn around. And I turned around that day and they didn't turn around. And unfortunately, uh, several people lost their life on the mountain that day. Uh, deep, deep tragedy, deep sadness, obviously for me, those are friends of mine. Um, and I don't, again, I'm not saying I'm better or worse or this or that, the other thing, just to say, like, there is that intuitive voice inside of us. And it's courageous to keep pushing forward to your question about courage, but sometimes it's courageous to turn back, to turn back, even when that's the hard choice. And so I really encourage folks, because I think we all have this power and some people are you know, more tuned into it than others, but that internal compass really is a powerful voice if we're able to listen to it. So it's so powerful. How do you do that? I mean, I, I, I feel like I do that sometimes too, but I don't know if there's anything that you do tactically to, to quiet your mind and, and turn on that compass, you know, get that GPS really going to the extent that we all have that compass inside of us. Maybe some of us have a harder time activating it than others. Are there any things, Colin, that you've done to, to be able to, to plug in at the right moment when you're on K2 so, so that you make a decision that, that, that turns out to be a smart one? You know, I've, I've actually, I'm a very extroverted person. I come from a big family. I've got five older sisters and I was born in a hippie commune. <laughs> um, so communal living is very, you know, normal, normalized for me. But I think spending time alone, honestly, I really don't think in our modern society, people spend enough time alone. And when I mean alone, I actually mean, you know, not on your computer, not on the social, scrolling your social media feed, not in front of Netflix. And I'm not saying, you know, be a monk and go live, you know, in, in a cave somewhere for months at a time. I'm, I'm saying take 30 minutes, you know, take an hour. You know, my, my second book, which I mentioned briefly, is this book called The 12 Hour Walk. And really at its core is a call to action for people to say, hey, take one day. Turn off your phone, put it on airplane mode, walk out your front door and go for a 12 hour walk. No podcast, no music. And then people are like, oh, that, I haven't trained for that. And I go, 
I literally don't care how far you walk. My 77-year-old mother-in-law has done the 12-hour walk. And for her, it looked like a 12 hours in silence. She would walk one time around her block and then she'd sit on her front porch in North Carolina for an hour and then she'd walk another time around her block. She maybe covered a mile. My ultra marathon friends have done, you know, 50 miles or whatever that is. And that that person's not doing the 12-hour walk better than the other person because the exercise actually is spend a day outside if you can alone digging into your own thoughts. And I've now, you know, I've created this whole app and this whole global movement. It's fun. I, uh, you know, do a bunch of B2B stuff where businesses bring me in to talk about this. And then collectively they all go out there. There's a thousand people that just did it this weekend after a speech I gave in Phoenix two weeks ago, the whole company did it, which was, it was amazing. And the impact is immense. You know, people are like, wow. You know, I ask people, what's the longest you spent alone? And people start going like 15 minutes, 30 minutes, you know, without music on, without TV on, whatever. And what ends up happening and your you question about, you know, how do we tune into this is we don't often in this instant gratification world, give ourselves time to think, give ourselves time to, to ideate. We think, oh, I don't have enough time for that. But unequivocally, you know, in the hundreds of thousands of people now that have done the 12 hour walk and shared their stories with me, they come back and they go the next week, the next month, the next year, I've never been so creative, so lit up. The momentum that I got from actually taking this quote unquote time out was actually an accelerant to my own growth an accelerant to intuition as well. The ability to go, oh, I've been working on this big problem in my mind at work for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of time. And then I was on this stroll seven hours into my 12 hour walk and all of a sudden, boom, the answer just hit me. Like it was just there. And so that, you know, you go deeper on that. I'm obviously very passionate about that, but that is a tactic that I think, and, you know, 12 hours is a long time, I suppose, but it's a very small investment of time for the sort of what I think is the hundred X return that you get on that investment. And if you can't take that, it's, can you take 30 minutes a day to really quiet your mind and really listen to yourself? There's, there's so much to be gained from that stillness and silence and take that from a guy. Yes. I've spent a lot of time alone, but I love to be around people. I love to be talking. I love to be speaking. I love to be social, but there is so much in my, you know, kind of personal growth and creativity, business acumen, et cetera, that has come from being in intentional about some stillness and silence in my life. You've taken on, as mentioned several times, you know, really, really difficult challenges and have, have come come out on top on, on all of them. That's certainly true at adventures and, and athletic challenges as recovery from your burn, uh, business challenges, et cetera. I want to switch gears a little bit and what's calling you to the world of professional speaking. And, and is that, you know, how, how do you view that as a challenge? Why are you doing that? What do you, what do you hope to get? And probably more importantly, what do you hope to give? Maybe just give us a little bit of your view on, on why instead of the next, you know, physical challenge, although I know you're doing that too. What, what, why have you taken on the challenge of becoming and, and accelerating your own world as a professional speaker? Yeah, I think I gave my first professional speech. I'm trying to think somewhere around 2012. So 11 years ago, something like that. Um, you know, after, you know, when I was as a professional athlete, someone invited me to, to give a speech to help, you know, raise money for this hospital, um, with a, you know, small stipend to give this speech. Um, and, and it was an honor to be, be on that stage and I loved it. Um, and then from there it's been steadily growing. And of course, as, um, all the different achievements and things have rolled in, that's really accelerated that in a number of different ways in terms of demand for, for the speaking, but, what I've really come to when I look at all the different, you know, I've founded businesses that I've exited, you know, I have an economics degree from Yale. I worked on Wall Street for a short period of time. You know, I've dipped my toe in a lot of different sort of professional veins. And, and there's many that I'm still really inspired and enjoy at the work that I do in Hollywood, et cetera. But there's really nothing like being on that stage. And I think you said the right word, which is to give. 
to give. Yes. Am I personally gratified by it? Do I enjoy the craft? Do I enjoy storytelling and conveying, um, you know, a, a message from a stage? Yeah, I do really enjoy that process. But what I enjoy the most, and I, I said it quite briefly earlier, is that ripple effect of positivity, that that ability to have that impact. You know, I love nothing more than getting, you know, an email from a, a CEO or an executive who I spoke for a year, a year later, where they're still quoting something back that I said from the stage. Oh, Colin, you know, you said these three sentences and I've got them hung up in my, my office and my team has talked about them every day as we've hit our quarterly and yearly goals. We had the best year that we've ever had. Um, you know, or, you know, I give a million different anecdotes about that, but there's something Im- immensely gratifying about that because what I think about is not just, oh, great, this guy's paying me a compliment a year later, but it's like, he's saying, I'm, I made this change in my life or, or she's saying, I made this impact in my business. And I know that that ripple effect doesn't end there. I realized that those people, he has a byproduct of that, had an impact on their families, impact on their communities, impact on, on their life, you know, broadly. And so I think, you know, you, you go back to, you know, humans in the, in the ancient times or the prehistoric times, you know, we are, we, we love stories. That's how we communicate. And when we can communicate effectively, you know, the, the whole world can turn on that access. And so to be a tiny little drop in the bucket of being out there and being able to share stories in an impactful way that stick with people and make specific change in businesses and personal lives, et cetera, is a great honor. Um, and it really, I'm continue to be so inspired to do it. I, I can't honestly think of a, a single speech where I've got off the stage and been like, ah, oh, God, I just wish I wasn't doing that today. I just, you know, there's something about it. I just, just love the entire business, the ecosystem, the people I meet along the way, um, the, and the impact that we can all have on each other through doing it. Well, you're also terrific at it. There's no question that you will continue to ascend that new mountain. Uh, it's not new 11 years in, but you'll continue to find your new, you know, levels of, of Everest success in the world of speaking. Um, I actually wanted to end, Colin, on a, our conversation today on a personal note. Um, as I mentioned, I admire you from a, in a lot of ways. You know, your, your incredible athleticism, you know, your willingness to take on challenges and go beyond your your, your uh, entrepreneurial prowess. Um, but one of the things, if not the thing I admire most, is the relationship that you and Jen have. I mean, I've gotten to know you not only individually, but as a, as a couple and such deep respect and care for one another. Um, maybe you could unpack that a little bit for us and help us understand or how that's come to be and, and how you view that partnership as, as you use the word accelerant, as accelerant in all areas of your life. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, you know, Jenna, Jenna and I met just before that Thailand burn accident, actually. So we met uh, in 2007 um, and, you know, we, we fell in love on a, a, a beach in Fiji that we both happened to be on by a random circumstance, but the, the fate so have it that our paths crossed then. Um, and we, we've been together ever since, you know, we've, we've been together for 16 years. We just welcomed our first child to the world four months ago. So it's amazing to embark on that adventure as parents. Um, and what's been really amazing is, um, you know, we, we've both done a few things sort of independently, but for the lion's share of our professional careers, we've really done them in sync together. Um, you know, Jenna and building and creating and dreaming up all these big expeditions together to the other entrepreneurial ventures that you mentioned. And, you know, she's really just been, you know, kind of our, you know, a team in, in that. And it's been amazing, um, not only because we've been able to actually have some incredible adventures and life experiences together. We actually summited Mount Everest together my second time, her first in 2021, 20, which will probably forever go down as one of the most incredible experiences I've ever had to be on the summit of that mountain um, uh, with, with my wife. But also it's just been um, 
really special, uh, it, it, whether that's with speaking, whether that's in any other element of, of our life to really have that kind of ride or die partner. And not everyone has that or wants that from their romantic partner or marriage. And, you know, candidly, of course, it has its challenges at times, just like any long-term relationship has, but mostly it's been just an absolute blessing to be able, um, to do that together. But I think, you know, whether, like I said, whether that's a romantic partner, whether that's a business partnership, whether that's a colleague, you know, at work or whether that's a best friend, it's so clear to me that we are so impacted by the people that we choose to spend our time with. You know, it's been said by many people, you know, we're the net product of the five people we spend the most time with. I'll take that a step further. I always joke around and say, you know, we're, uh, you know, you you want to be you uh, you you hang out with four criminals you'll probably be the fifth you know you hang out with four millionaires you'll probably be the fifth right you know we're really impacted by our environment and you know our family the 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 people that we're born into I guess we might choose that and you know you hope you win the lottery and you come into a family that loves you and not everyone comes from that environment and there's you know there's nothing really you can, one can do about that but as adults as autonomous adults we do get to choose who we spend our time with who our colleagues are who our business associates are who our family are, who our friends are, et cetera, um, in, in the chosen sense. And Jenna is, of course, a bedrock of that for me. But I looked at even more broadly, which is I'm very thoughtful and cautious about who I want to spend my time with, because I just like you, you know, you've said some very nice things to me, Josh. And I mean it right back at you, which is I've our friendship over the, the, the several years we've known each other at this point has been amazing because I'm inspired by you. I'm lit up by you. And I also, you know, I can count on you and I can, you call you up and ask you a question. And I just love that. I love to be around other people that are pushing the envelope forward, interesting, intriguing. And honestly, one of the coolest things about Keenan speaking, you know, not just Impact 11 as a community itself, but actually being on those stages, you know, you get invited to the Salina, you know, the last month I was keynoting or a couple months ago at the Salina, Kansas Chamber of Commerce, this big event for the Chamber of Commerce in Salina, Kansas. I've never been there before. I ended up being on the stage with the, you know, the U.S. Senator, um, you know, you meet him, but then also meeting all these different folks, you know, in that room. That's just one tiny example. I know you and I both have thousands of these examples, but you get to meet interesting people all around the world who have their own dreams, their own hopes, their own aspirations. So I'm diverging from the question about Jenna, but more broadly, um, yes, being in this relationship with Jenna has been a massive accelerant to my career. Um, but also just if, you know, espousing uh, unsolicited advice to this audience is, you know, think about who you're surrounding yourself with. And if that's not a romantic partner, that's fine. But really think about that. If you're saying, hey, my Mount Everest is to be the best keynote speaker in the world. Are you surrounding yourself by other people who believe in that goal for you, who believe in that vision for you, who want to help support that? And then conversely, one of the things is that you're not just taking that energy, Right. Uh, yes, Jenna's been a great support for me, but that cuts both ways. What are her hopes? What are her dreams? What are her aspirations? And that goes through all the people in your network that might be supporting you, which is, um, and, and you do this beautifully, Josh, which is you give so much. You, you know, I, I think of Josh Linkner, the first word I might think of is give, 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 give. You're out there supporting and helping so many other people with their dreams. And you're playing the long game, which is you realize the energy that that reverberates back to you, um, uh, you know, in, in the long run. And that's a beautiful thing. And I think too often people have sort of a scarcity mindset about take, 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 take rather than give, 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 give. And I think that makes all the difference. Well, Colin, thank you so much for, for giving us so much wisdom today. I mean, I think the notion of better together has certainly been a theme of mine, and, and I know it is uh, of yours too. And this uh, point you made around surrounding yourself with, with people that will lift you up and, and, and you become the byproduct of it. I think you've made us all better together today um, with your insights and, and perspective. I think you've helped us go beyond and continue to, to, to take on the, our next Everest, um, whatever that might be for each of us. So uh, 
my friend, thank you for sharing with us today, wishing you continued success up your next Everest and beyond. Thank you. What an exhilarating expedition we've taken today with Colin. Talk about someone that just cannot and will not be stopped. Raw, unfiltered passion meets determination and grit. You don't often see that combo. I think the most powerful image that I'll take away from today's episode is Colin, alone in a tent somewhere in the middle of Antarctica, the wind whipping all around as he faces down his own doubts and demons to find the will to keep going. Sure, I'll probably never be in a tent at the South Pole, but we've all got our moments of being in the tent, and we can learn so much from his example of perseverance. I was also struck by Colin's insight that it's not just about the physical endurance, it's a mental game that truly defines how high and how far we can go. His stories from overcoming a terrible injury to scaling the world's highest peaks remind us that the only boundaries that exist are the ones that we put upon ourselves. Thanks, Colin for sharing your tenacity and humanity and generosity. Thanks for giving us a framework to shatter perceived limits and reach new heights. There's no question in my mind that we'll be seeing a lot more of you as you reach the summit of the speaking world and anything else that you pursue. Here's to your success and your continued drive to go beyond. Thanks so much for joining me on another episode of Mic Drop. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. If you love the show, please share it with your friends. And don't forget to give us a five-star review. For show transcripts and show notes, visit micdroppodcast.com. I'm your host, Josh Linkner. Thanks so much for listening, and here's to your next Mic Drop moment.